Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. I think there's a way of saying that thing where you can say, look, we need to know. Like, we need to know. Like, So, like, I think the argument is there to say, well, look, the most important thing, you're trying to finish this. Yes, you want to play in the Aviva and all that stuff. So you want to get your send off. But, like, the most important thing for you, you're finishing the World Cup for a reason. It's because it's the most important thing. So, like, if you get injured, do you not want to give yourself the best opportunity of winning this thing? And if you get injured for a quarterfinal, you might still get back in the semifinal. So I think there's a, there's a way of, you know, there's lots of things to consider about this, I think. As Ireland's preparations for the Autumn Internationals kick into gear this week, on tonight's episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will be asking, what would a successful November look like for head coach Andy Farrell? As well as that, Leinster's win over Munster at the Aviva Stadium is up for discussion, and we will also be answering your questions that you kindly sent in in advance of tonight's show. Will Slattery here, and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor. And Rod, you were on Ireland duty this afternoon Andy Farrell spoke to the media for the first time this season. From your perspective, what should the priority list look like for Ireland in terms of you know the important things to achieve over the next month or, or, or six weeks? Should it to be to get that kind of big psychological scalp against South Africa? Is it to kind of fine-tune and, and refine the game plan with those core players who Andy Farrell has leaned heavily on for the last 12 months or so? Or should it be to bring in new players to find new combinations? What does your list look like? Well, I think there's a number of things that he'll want to get done. I don't think he'll have to prioritize one thing over another. And and there's a huge comfort to be taken of in the strength, of, the position of strength that he comes into this in having won in New Zealand, you know, on the back of the Triple Crown. It's been steady progress pretty much throughout since that kind of difficult 2020, 21. It's, it's been upward curve stuff. So I've always been looking out for this South Africa game. I, I've I've been wondering how Ireland would cope with this team, this one particular opponent who will ask questions that maybe only France and England, when they get their selection and get get everything right, can and and they're the best at it. I was in Yokohama for the World Cup final when they used their slow poison and and destroyed an English scrum and and eventually cut loose in the last fifteen minutes. And it's like when they get it right, the Springboks are awesome. It's not pretty but it's incredibly effective. And I'm really um, intrigued to see how this Irish team with the incredible attacking game plan that they bring to the table will go about taking them on and whether that game plan can work against the the the, the nature of what South Africa bring. Do they go 6-2? Do they adapt to what South Africa bring? Or do they try and rise above and play their game and beat them? And I think that's the, the key fixture in the window. And it's almost a pity it's up first. So... A lot goes into that game and whether Ireland can win it, whether Ireland can perform, whether Ireland get destroyed at the scrum or whether they can stand up in that area. And I think much of the success and failure of the window will rest in the 80 minutes there. Around that, there's the key issues that we keep coming back to every window. Who's going to back up 10? Are they ready to take over if Sexton goes down? Because look, we all know Sexton's number one going into the World Cup. But if he can't make it, if something happens to him, 
is Carby ready? Is Frawley ready? Is Jack Crowley ready? Everyone's fit, so it sounds like, or certainly that's what they're saying. So the kind of injury issues and the rejigs are, are less important. But yeah, there's a couple of players I think they'll want to see. So there's a bit of spreading the spreading the love, trying to get you know over to Fiji and Australia games, get experience to say someone like Joe McCarthy's boots, get Kieran Frawley capped, get him maybe off the bench against Australia, change things up a little bit on there. But I. I fully expect them to go strong against South Africa. If everyone's fit, I think we, we can almost name the team now and, and you're, you're, you'd be pretty close um, because that fixture has World Cup ramifications. Um, and, you know, if it goes wrong, we saw how damaging individual games were the last time around. So they need to get that one right. They need to, to perform on that day. And that's really where this window will live and die. Yeah, Luca, do you assign kind of added importance to that South Africa game for the reasons Rod outlined, both the kind of stylistic challenges they pose that Ireland have maybe struggled with in the past and also, you know, that World Cup pool game is massive. Like winning that will go a long way to whether Ireland do have a successful campaign. Like, Do those things kind of make it more important than your your kind of marquee November game that is always a big, you know, you know, kind of match for an Ireland side? Um. Yeah, I'm really struggling with this one, like whether to whether to really put it on that kind of pedestal that that um, I probably had it on. Um, tonight's the first time I really kind of like throughout the day, I was just kind of thinking about it. Um, you know, it's very difficult, I think, at the start of, you know, the November internationals when guys, you know, have only just started their season. Some players will be coming into the team likely who haven't played at all yet. Um you know, and it's the first one around. I kind of it, just to tie in what Rhodes was saying. The first one of the of the of the three is it's kind of disappointing that it's there because it's you know you'd like to have a game or two, even one game before it, just to get set, just so you get an idea of how you're playing. Guys can get used to playing with, with each other. That's always a challenge. So um, that'll be different to the next time around that they play. You know, in terms of at the World Cup, um, and you know they'll have a couple of warm up games before that together. Versus now they're kind of coming in having not played since was it uh, June? You know, so I think. Um, I'm kind of reticent to, to make it uh, to, to to place massive importance on the result, but what I would like to see certainly is is that you know can we implement that game plan against them? I, I sorry, and to 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 maybe explain what I'm really looking for. It's it's certainly performance over that. I want to see us being able to cope in those big in, in at set piece because I think there are things you probably can get right pretty quickly. Um, and I think I'd like to see us um, try and implement that game plan to a certain extent against them, play a more expansive game plan and kind of survive in the tight exchanges. Like, I don't think there's any future in trying to take these guys on in the game they want to play. I think you've got to survive in those. You've got to try and get 50-50s there, um, which might be very difficult. But I think you've got to try and play how New Zealand play against them. And they're the team that beat South Africa the most regularly out of anyone. Um, which is to try and play an expansive game plan and move their big forwards around the pitch, make sure that you trust your skills and the things that I think Ireland have gotten really, really good at. And I think it's the strength of the team. So um, I'd like to see us do those types of things, Will. Like, you can't disengage from that, you know, the, the, the tight parts of the game completely. But I do think there's another way of playing. And I think Ireland should be playing that way versus South Africa's kind of, you know, muscly. It's kind of a muscly game plan, isn't it? You know, with, with a very tidy kicking element to it um, that kind of creates the pressure, um, you know, and a very hard defensive. I mean, I think everyone's doing the same defense at the moment. So maybe that's not a point of difference for them. But that really heavy set kind of muscly game plan that their forwards try and impose on you. And they've got some serious finishers that are very clinical, and I think that's it's not it's 
it, it's not a difficult cocktail, you know, that kind of way when you when you try and break down what what what's involved in, in a South African team or the South African team's success. But it's really hard to stop. I think the way you stop it is by playing the way Ireland played in, in the summer, and that's to play expansive. Yeah, Rud, in, in, in terms of the selection policy that Andy Fraz employed, you know, in November last year, he pretty much went with the same team three weeks in a row by a couple of minor changes. It was one or two injuries and one or two maybe rotational ones too, which is unusual for the November series. And obviously the three-test series in New Zealand, he, him and the team really wanted to win it. So he basically went with the same team again. South Africa first will probably be as strong a team as he can pick. Do you think then will there be changes? Because at what stage is, is there a need to, you know, as you mentioned earlier, try a Joe McCarthy or someone like that? Or Andy Farrell's MO up to now would be to maybe roll out the same team against Australia, maybe a few changes for Fiji. But would that be a missed opportunity, do you think, if he goes down that tack? Well, I think how we will approach it, because you got to remember there's this New Zealand A game on Friday week against, uh, against a pretty strong team, which he rates as stronger than the Mary team they played last summer. And I mean, I know some of them, I think, have been sucked up into the All Blacks because the All Blacks have a few injuries. They're playing Japan this weekend. But I think we're expecting a pretty good team coming over to the ODS on Friday week. So you'll have a team of squad members plus those, I think it's eight A players. Was it 12 A players who were called up to the squad initially um, on the Friday night? Then the first team will play against South Africa on the Saturday. I would expect a lot of those players who played against the A, sorry, who played for the A team on the Friday in the RDS to then play against Fiji the following Saturday. So I think he'll rotate heavily. Um, you'll see a couple of kind of the, maybe the bench from the box game plus a lot of the A guys coming in. Maybe one or two of those emerging Ireland players like Jack Crowley. I wouldn't be surprised to see Marty Moore get back into the mix if, if things go well for him in there because I, I think it's brilliant that he's back in because I think he really has something to offer still to Irish rugby. And then... Australia, if you've won your first two games and you've you know done well against New Zealand A as well, and players are performing, um, that's a chance I think to mix and match slightly. I think it'll be two thirds, three quarters of the main team. But look, there'll be a few injuries by then. There'll be a, a, a chance to maybe try a frawley or something like that. You know, in a big game. Not to say they, they wouldn't necessarily use them beforehand because I think they rate them really highly. But that's I think where you'll see maybe the the bit of progression and evolution towards um, towards the Six Nations. But then we've got to remember that he threw Mac Hansen in for his debut in a, in a big game. So it's not like he's, he hasn't taken big selection calls along the way. So he, he has been conservative in one way, but he's also slowly evolved this team over the course of, of the, of the, the window and, or sorry, of his time in charge. And, you know, he put, gave Caelan Doris his debut in his first Six Nations game. So there have been players who have been introduced. They're generally one in a kind of a fairly familiar selection. But I think, yeah, look, some a lot will depend now on, on how these players pull up in training this week. Though we've got, I think there's more than 10 injured players who are either coming back um, today or coming back Thursday or being managed until next weekend. Um, if any of them are out, then that changes. Like if, if a tight furlong misses out, then that changes everything. If Josh van der Fleer misses out, then you're rejigging your whole back lot, back row. You know, if Joey Carby misses out, then Frawley's on the bench. So like, you know, there is, and they've said everyone's going to be fit, but he did also say that's depends on how to get through training as well. So like we have a few kind of hoops to jump through before we can get to that point. Yeah, it's a funny one. You could have a very settled team, the kind of team that's played the last year almost, or it could be, you know, potentially, as you mentioned there, depending on who comes through, it could be very different and there could be some very interesting selection calls. Luke, you know, when I go into every international window now, I like to ask this question. How many games of the three should Johnny Sexton start, do you think? Uh, one, I think. Um, I think he should just start the South Africa game. 
um, and then put him on ice. I think there's no value. Like we we know like we know what he does like you know what i mean i don't think we need to discover anything there um you know i always think you should be trying to win the six nations so you play you know whoever's fit and who's the best player yeah play you play in the six nations um you know people might say oh well there's risk in that you know and that's closer to the world cup but i just think you, you should always just be trying to win the six nations it's just our, it's our main competition uh i think financially it's quite important to us as well so um i think yeah south africa i think you'd like to see him there just so you get a sense and i think it'll be better for the team because Look, he just slots in there all the time. He's so familiar with the game plan. I think nothing will change in him. And the expectations around him and the, and the confidence that he'll give everyone, even if they haven't played together, um, I think will be very helpful for, for the team, Will. So that's why I'd have him in, in, in that one. But I think there's no value add. I think you need to get Carberry time and you need to need to get either, like whoever you think is the, is the, um, your two and three in that out-half space, you need to get them time in those two games. We're, we're, we're coming under serious pressure in this area now. And there's a huge amount of risk kind of that's being um that that resides in, in in johnny sexton being fit for the whole world cup campaign now so they need to try and de-risk a little bit and get guys some time i was really pleased to see joey carberry um you know i thought I, he didn't play great now we got the bit of the bit of a knock but um you know i think uh, healy is becoming a bit of a concern defensively but crowley i thought looked very good now he's a 15 for a lot of it but um you know frawley like excellent player like we i would think my, the point is we have enough players there but we need to really figure out who the, the two and three are at the moment i think it's probably frawley and i think it's probably uh carberry um but we really need to see them now it's the, the, there's some time pressure coming on at this stage i think um so that's where i stand on that one yeah yeah Rudy, you think that's likely because again the, the fixture list means that like you know Saxon plays week one how likely is it that he doesn't feature again for the for the following two matches? You know, maybe potentially off the bench against Australia if Andy Farrell went down Luke's route. I agree with Luke, but I actually think it's unlikely that he... he, well, he this is where I think having him as captain is it complicates matters. And some of it does depend on that result and that performance against South Africa. So if South Africa goes badly and you feel like you need a, a, a statement win against Australia to get some momentum back before the Six Nations, then you play him. If you beat South Africa and you play well, then you can go to you know. And I don't think Andy Farrell is going to do this because he is, he has wedded himself to Johnny Sexton for this World Cup cycle. So I think it's unlikely. I think it's right the right thing to do. And some of it does depend. Like I think if you get hammered by South Africa, then there is an argument for putting Sexton back in and beating Australia because like you, these games can these defeats can damage your momentum in a World Cup cycle. Like we got knocked off track four years ago in a in a World Cup warm up that nobody thought was going to matter in Twickenham and they got hockeyed and, and suddenly that was a disaster so like but i think the right thing to do is what luke's outlined i think the right thing to do is play sexton against south africa beat south africa hopefully then give carberry the week to run things against if it is carberry to run things against fiji and then give him another week and say to sexton look you're there to help him but look this is you are still my man for the world cup you are still but we need to make sure that joey has run things you know so that if you go down and it's a quarterfinal semi-final in the national interest He's ready to do it. And we want Kieran Foley. I think having him captain actually strengthens it, Rhodes. I disagree with you. I think you that you can I think you're completely right with the argument, but I think having him as captain really strengthens that. Where you can say to him, hang on a second here, you're the captain of the team. Like, do you not like what we need what we need to do now is we need to we need to get other guys some game time. We know like he's how many caps has Johnny got? Like, do you know what I, I mean? Like, I, so, and I, I, I accept that, but I think to, hum, he has to be humble. Whereas if he's not the captain, you know he can kind of throw a bit of a hissy fit. Like he can't do that now if he's if he's the captain. Sure. Yeah, I get that. I I just think that elite sports people, and especially one who is in the conversation of one of the greatest players ever played for his country, and has missed games along the way, will want as many caps. He wants to do this in front of a full Aviva Stadium. 
Like, how many times is he going to play, get a, to play at home for Ireland in the rest of his career? We've only two home games in the Six Nations. And will he play in one of the two warm-up games before they go? Maybe the England game, that's going to be the farewell for Johnny Sexton in Dublin. And if he gets that far. So, like, yes, I, I completely agree with you. And But but I think we're, you've got to manage the person as well. And, and Andy Farrell is is a very skilled people person and is very good at managing him. has a very strong relationship with, 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 with Johnny Sexton. And it's up to him to manage that situation, I guess. But I think it's still going to be a difficult conversation with Johnny Sexton because Johnny Sexton is... is is such a fierce competitor, he'll want to play in that game, I think. So it's it's going to take some management, but that's what, why Andy Farrell's paid so, paid paid the big bucks. It's kind of like the Ronaldo thing at United, except the only the only difference is that Johnny's still the best player. Like I, you know, but, but I think you have to manage him. No, seriously, it is a bit though, isn't it? Because like he's getting on, you're kind of going like, you know, at some point you got like I, I would feel if you look at the the United scenario, like it looks like the conversations the Ten Hag hasn't had the right conversations with him. Whereas I think Farrell has an opportunity to have the right conversations, and I also think while Johnny is super competitive, if you if you manage that conversation well, you know, I think you can let him set aside that. Like like your last game, who cares about your last game? Like that's not important. What's important is that Irish rugby is healthy. You're the captain. You have to do what's best for the team. And I think. That's a terrible way of putting it to him. That's not how I would phrase it. But I think there's a way of saying that to him where you can say, look, we need to know. Like, we need to know. Like, And, and, and in fairness, you know, you mightn't get a chance. You look at the, 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 the uh, 2015 World Cup. You know, he never got a chance to get back on the pitch again. Um, you know, because I, well, Madigan wasn't the, the only reason, uh, you know, that things didn't go well that day. But Madigan didn't have a huge amount of rugby in that 10 shirt running a, an entire game. So, like, I think the argument is there to say, well, look, the most important thing, you're trying to finish this. Yes, you want to play in the Aviva and all that kind of stuff. You want to get your send off. But, like, the most important thing for you, you're finishing the World Cup for a reason. It's because it's the most important thing. So, like, if you get injured, do you not want to give yourself the best opportunity of winning this thing? And, like, he never got a chance to play in the World Cup again in 15. But I think if you give, if you have better players around you, better tens, if you get injured, you might still get back in. If you get injured for a quarter final, you might still get back in the semi final. So I think there's a there's a way of you know there's lots of things to consider about this. I think there's if you phrase it to him correctly, you think of all these other uh, issues that kind of you can resolve or you can at least help. Um, you know, I think that puts you in, in a good position. And I think momentum, just to touch on that point, momentum against Australia. I mean. Does the momentum matter? Like we've had brilliant Novembers and we've tanked in the Six Nations, and conversely we've had poor. Like I don't, I'm not sure the two are as correlated as people think. There's a lot of rugby to be played between and injuries, etc. Um, so I'm not as convinced that November and, and Six Nations are as correlated as people think. You, you might disagree. Sorry on, on any. I don't know if that. Do you agree with any of that? Or disagree oh, or? No, like I think I think I don't think we're far off the the the, the same argument. I, and you don't, you know Johnny Sexton a lot better than I do. Um. And I think you've got a point there. I mean, Ian Madigan, I, I'm going off the top of my head, but Ian Madigan played, started four games of 10 for Ireland before the 2015 World Cup. I think against, sorry, including one of, sorry, he played four games before starting a quarterfinal for Ireland at the World Cup. One was against the USA, one was against Canada, one was a warm-up against Scotland, and one was against Romania in the pool stages. So, like, that is... You, how like, can you expect him to, how can no, you expect like, it was him to be, shoot the lights out, you know? And, like, Joe Smith did everything in that week to make, to get Johnny Sexton to play. So, we completely, whereas, in my book, he should have parked, he should have got to Ian Manning and said, you're my man this week. He spent, like, I think Johnny Sexton only got ruled out on the eve of the game. So, Correct. you know, the, like, Madigan wasn't backed. And then, as soon as it was over, he was thrown under the bus, much like Jack Hart, he was thrown under the bus four years later. So, like, you've got to show these lads some love as well and take to Joe Carby, who, in fairness, has started the game against Australia. He started the game in Paris against against France. He has 
close out four wins over New Zealand over the course of his pretty short career. He does start whenever he's fifth for Munster. So he's got a lot more time in the jersey. And unfortunately, he's had injuries that have ruled him out. And I know things haven't always gone his way either. I think he's had a bit more time in the saddle. But this is a window where it makes sense to get him two games so that when we get to the Six Nations, if Johnny Sexton isn't fit, he slots in there against England or France and you're happy with him. Or if Sexton pulls up injured in one of those, because he'll have to play against Samoa or um, the, uh, is it Romania, the other team in our pool? He'll have to play in one of those two games, Sexton, because Tonga. two games. Sorry, Tonga, you're right. Samoa is a warm-up game um, against Tonga. Like, you'll have to play in one of those games. If he picks up an injury against Tonga, if Fekatoa takes him out, for example, or something like that, um, you know, you need Carberry to be ready to play against South Africa the following week. And, and in the past, we haven't done enough because Jack Carty, like Madigan, had only started one game for Ireland at the last before the last World Cup. And he ended up starting against Japan and they lost the game. And he got thrown under the bus after that so like strategically this is i mean i've written about 50 pieces in this world cup cycle about <laughs> the backup 10 and i find a conversation it feels like it's a conversation point every week if, even if yeah. you're discussing leinster isn't it like it's tricky it's hard to get away from isn't it yeah. and he's such a he's such a strong personality he's yeah, such a yeah. dominant force and he like even when he wasn't at his best last saturday he was still the the compelling figure on the f- pitch for so much of that game and will be until he retires and he's the dominant figure in that dressing room as as we all know so um, it's 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 the biggest it, it is the biggest red flag hanging over the Irish squad. That and loosehead prop and, and the scrum, I think, are the three red flags hanging over this Ireland squad going to next year's World Cup. Other than that, they're in an unbe- unbelievable shape. But if 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 Andrew Porter, Tyke Furlong, or Johnny Sexton goes down, then uh, then things might get a bit more interesting. <laughs> I'm already looking forward to run on the eve of the World Cup pool stage starting next year, being like, how many pool games should Johnny Sexton start? So it's it's just it's an evergreen question that always can kick off 20 minutes of debate on this show. Uh, always a good one to have in your in your holster. We might touch on Leinster Munster now, Luke. Um, good atmosphere, a good crowd out in the Viva Stadium. Leinster winning 27-13, getting the bonus point at the end. You know What kind of jumped out to you the, the most? I think to conversate, the narrative was very positive for Munster. Um and really, I thought they got away with it. I thought I thought Leinster could have put them to the sword in the first half, and it could have got really ugly. Um, you know, they show good fight, but like good fight in, a, in an interpro. I mean, geez, like that's the bare minimum, isn't it? I think. Um, you know, I thought Leinster were very sloppy with the ball at times. Um, you know, as as were Munster at times too. Uh, I think both sides that you know they they felt I felt like they were going for the killer blow. Just you know, one phase too early or two phases too early didn't build pressure very well. Um, you know, Leinster cut them open loads of times. Like, I, I thought I, I'd be very concerned from a Munster perspective. And even the tries they got, I mean, they still got a bonus point win. So, like, I, 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 I was a bit bemused by my my overriding impression afterwards and at the at the time of the game was I was a bit bemused by how positive all the chat was around Munster. I thought they looked like they got, um, they looked like they got well beaten, uh, even though the scoreline, I think, wasn't that far apart. And I think, um, you know, their discipline was still maybe a little bit of an issue as well. I mean, two yellow cards. Uh, Klein's was just sloppy, and I think he was lucky probably not to get a red. I, even though I know it was, it was, it would have been harsh to get a red. I think he was still lucky. Like the the elbows did made, still made contact with the with the face, and it was actually quite dangerous. Like the way he landed on him, I was surprised Osborne didn't get, you know, really, um, really actually badly hurt. It looked really awkward, didn't it? I, I don't know if you saw the the way they landed on the ground, um, but um, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, look, I th- that's the overriding impression from the game. I think Munster still have a few, oh, you know, few issues to resolve. I think Leinster is still a step ahead and probably should have. They'll be they'll be disappointed that they didn't put them to the sword earlier. They really should have with the opportunities they had. 
Yeah, Ro, that is something that jumped out to me. You know, the opening 10, 15 minutes, Leinster, like, and it wasn't even like great Munster scramble defense, really, or some of the mm. things that Munster did to, to hold out Leinster. There was just some sloppy option taking when they maybe could have given the ball or, and kept it themselves. What, what, what was your view on, on that element of it that kind of Lou touched on there? Yeah, no, I, 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 I look, I, I think people, firstly, Graham Roundtree comes in and he's super positive, and that does shape things. Like, coaches sometimes don't appreciate how much influence they can have on the post-match narrative and I think because they've been hammered for five weeks pretty much straight then people are probably out to give Munster a bit of a a bit of a pass because in fairness that Munster team that took the field when I saw it I think the spread jumped from 10 points to 17 points in a minute and when that team was named and they beat that spread um, and they were lucky to beat that spread in some ways but they stayed in the fight until the last 10 minutes and we're still pushing for that win without ever looking like they were going to or sorry to, to get losing bonus without actually looking like they were going to score they were kind of making heavy weather things in and around between the 10 and the 22 before J- um, Jimmy O'Brien won that turnover at the right hand side and then sort of go up the other end and ring roads produced that moment the quality that no Munster player was able to produce over the 80 minutes and won the game for Leinster I, I think if Leinster had I think Leinster saw the Munster team sheet on Friday and probably just switched off a little bit and and relaxed and that fed into their lack of accuracy and in and that sense that look we'll get back in here we'll get it we'll, like we can pass up a couple of scores we we'll get them the next time and the first half they just kept passing up they couldn't finish their dinner they kept passing up opportunity after opportunity sex and Shanks a kick you know he do in a sleep um Jenkins gets held up over the line you know all those the knock ons the loose line out sheen a couple of crooked ones. You know, if if Leinster were playing Heineken Cup and they were and they were on it, on it, on it, they would have, I think, taken at least fifty percent of those, those opportunities, and Munster would have been chasing their tail in a big, big way. But they gave a sucker an even break, and Munster hung on in there, and they deserve some credit for that. Um, but I wouldn't be drawing too much optimism from it from a Munster point of view. I think this this weekend is 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 a really pivotal game in Munster season if they can beat Ulster um, at home and and go three from seven, they give themselves a chance. If they're not able to back up what they, if they can't take what they, they gain from staying close to Leinster for 70 odd minutes and back it up next weekend, then they're in, they're, they're in as much trouble as we thought they were a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And even the kind of the points accumulation aspect of it, I know you did a piece a couple of weeks ago about their points per game versus last year. And that was only three weeks in. So I think it would be even more alarming now, you know, when they were 22, 13 down, you know, to kick a penalty there, get a losing bonus point. I know you'd still have to defend your line there and Leinster ultimately scored. But if they kick a penalty there, that's not to say Leinster definitely would have still scored. You would have gotten away with a point. You come away with zero now. So yeah, it's critical. I suppose this game at Tolman Park at the weekend Luke, one Leinster player I want to ask you about, and we got a question in from Baz O'Neill about him, is Luke McGrath. He got the man of the match uh, at the weekend. A guy, a Leinster stalwart, scored his 44th try Sorry, uh, for Leinster, which is a phenomenal record for a scrum half. Kind of the forgotten man on international level. I don't think he's played for Ireland since the 2019 World Cup. He was leapfrogged at Leinster almost by the fact that Gibson Park was picked by Andy Farrell, first of all. So he's kind of been in this kind of strange situation at club level where he was the main man, and now all of a sudden has kind of gone to the forgotten man. Yeah, it's a kind of interesting scenario because Leinster were picking him for a long time ahead of James and Gibson Park, and I think in most of the big games as well. And then I think, look, after a while, like once Gibson Park is starting, kind of you know the, the starter for Ireland as such after a couple of after you know November or after a Six Nations, it, like you can't really 
Well, you can, but I don't think you can really sit him on the bench behind McGrath, who's not even getting in the squad. Like I think there's probably what I would say is there's probably a very strong argument to say that McGrath should be in ahead of Casey quite a bit. Um, you know, I think they're kind of similar players. I think McGrath, you know, has probably done more in the game. He's more experienced. Um, but I think for whatever reason, there seems to be something about McGrath's pass being a little bit slower. Um, because I can't, there's no other reason why you wouldn't have him in the team. Uh, I think maybe there might've been concerns, maybe around some kicking, but I, I can't see any big difference between Casey's kicking and his kicking. If I'm being completely honest, I would say Cooney, um, I would say maybe Gibson Park is a more varied kicking game, certainly. Um, and I would say Murray obviously has a, has the best kicking game of the lot, I think. But other than that, I mean, his contributions around the pitch are unbelievable. It's might probably be my biggest complaint with Lukey. Like he's, I'd be biased in this one. He was my old training partner. I get on like he's such. He's one of the best guys. I mean, like he's a Leinster captain and all that kind of stuff as well. Like he, this guy is someone you want in. Very much like a Reese Ruddock, like a guy you want in your squad. Like he's just an absolute killer you know and um you know he's always hungry you know he gets involved in the in the in the tough stuff i always think he does a little bit too much of that for, for my liking i think some of his technical stuff can suffer because he's so involved in the physical side of the game for a small guy it takes way more out of you as a smaller guy than it does for, for a bigger guy in a wrestling match so um yeah i think he should should be should have been involved certainly in more irish uh, irish camps um and in Irish teams, I think as well over the years. But for whatever reason, you know, there was it just didn't fit the fit the eye of the coaches. And they've kind of a few guys have leapfrogged them, leap leapfrogged him. Excuse me, um, for for reasons I can't really put my 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 finger on. Maybe it's an age thing. Possibly is the only thing I can think of. But uh, I'm not sure that's a really strong argument. I think if you look at Leinster, like you know, you have to say I, like, like whatever you say about the great players around him, like the guy who touches the ball the most has to have a big impact on your team and how good your team do. Like, they just do. Like, I don't remember any team that has survived with a crap scrum half. I Like, you just, you can't flourish without, like, the team can never really get to its full potential without a good scrum half, I don't think. Um, you know, and, I, uh, and, and by virtue of that, you'd have to say, like, Luke McGrath's been a huge part of the success at Leinster, I think, and the consistency. So, yeah, I, I think he's a brilliant player. I loved playing with him. Um, you know, I think he's got a great nose for a try, a real like positive running lines, and he's you know his tackling and, and his covering, like he's he's tireless in those parts of the game. Will I, I think he's a brilliant rugby player, yeah. So should be involved, I think. Just in terms of his age, he's actually a year younger than Gibson Park, so there's no. Oh uh, no, I was talking, I was it was versus Casey. Okay, so yeah, Sorry, me, I probably should have explained that. Maybe I confused you. Yeah, that, that's, that, that that's was, what I'm told. It is basically that that they have two senior scrum halves. They like the model of having two senior players in one position. And basically a 23, 24, 23, 24 year old who they see is having huge upside, who they can get in there, get loads of time in camp, get loads of reps of training and get him a cap against Italy here or there. Whereas they don't feel like this is much value in doing that with Luke McGrath. He got into training camp last November at one stage. He's been very unlucky. And so was Kieran Marmee and Caelan Blade. And, you know, John Cooney as well. There's been no injuries at scrum half. The whole World Cup cycle, like there's, this is the first time Gibson Park, I think, has had a knock. They haven't had to call up any cover in that position. So I have a feeling that if Murray dropped out, he might get the, he might be the next in line because he fits the, he's almost like the backup to Murray. Whereas Gibson Park goes out, then Casey steps up and Blade is there because they're the tempo scrum halves. He's seen as more the good tackler, strong strategist, good relationship with Johnny Sexton. And if there was a wrath engine for the World Cup, I think they'd have no fear about calling him up, but they, they feel like they know that what they have with him, they don't need to have him in camp every time. And that's probably unfair on him because he's not picking up that cap here and there and stuff, but he's not considered 
as good by the management as the, for the top two is Gibson Park and Murray, and they see Casey as the coming man. So that's the way they've built it. And and I think Kieran Marmion has been really unlucky in this World Cup cycle as well. Like John Cooney in any other country would be there'd be war every time a squad comes out and he's not there. But we've kind of come to accept over the, over the last while that he's not getting in. But like the rugby he's playing for Ulster is incredible. Like is he going to play for Scotland? We'll know next February. I mean, I wouldn't begrudge him out if he went off. It's like it's it's not a tenuous link. It's his father. I know he has played for Ireland, but them's the rules. Um, his father's Scottish. If they want them, I mean, he's getting no love from his home country, so I would have no objection to him going off and, and doing it if that's what uh, what he wants to do. And that would make a quite an interesting storyline when the two teams meet in that pool, crunch pool game at the the end of of the of next September. Yeah, I really don't think that's what the rules were brought in for, though. At the same time, no, it's wrong. Yeah, for people like John Cooney to play for Scotland, like it was for you know, it was brought in for guys wait like Freddie, wait till Freddie Burns comes over and starts playing for Ireland. <laughs> he wouldn't get in the team. Uh, neither would his brother. Uh, or it's crazy that his brother played. Yeah, no, but look, I think it's it's that, that that'd be a mad one if John went. I, I think it'd be wrong. Like I think he's probably been mistreated. I think he probably hasn't managed those relationships as well as maybe he could have himself. Um, you know, I think he's. He's great belief in his own in his own ability, John. But um, you know, like kind of posting your kind of thought, all those kind of things. Now, maybe he's just maybe maybe I'm a bit old school, and he's maybe the new school, and it's more acceptable on social media to be kind of doing those kind of things. But um, I think he's maybe suffered a bit of, a bit of that and hasn't managed the relationships brilliantly when he's been and he hasn't been selected. You know, which look you can tell like you want to have players frustrated if they're not getting picked either. And he is like he's been a key part in in, in Ulster. You know, so yeah, I. I there's a lot of sides to that thing to to really to think about, isn't it? With the Cooney the, the the Cooney argument for for getting in, um, he can certainly feel aggrieved that he hasn't got more caps. That's for sure. I think. Rudd, if if James Gibson Park does have a setback or isn't fit, is, is Connor Murray starting against South Africa? Is it Craig Casey? What's your view on how that will go if Gibson Park wouldn't wasn't fit? I would say if I was picking the team, it would be Craig Casey. Uh, and you got to consider, you know, we, we will go. I will now outline all the reasons why the sensible decision is to go with Conor Murray because of his box kicking, his size, his ability to cope against South Africa, the experience he's had as a multiple line. He played in test matches against South Africa a couple of years ago. But like, it's you're up against Faf de Klerk. It's not like, you know, man for man. I know they have big beasts across the park, but even the South Africans love having a, a, a nippy fast nine who can who can who can do who can play both ways i know the clerk also is an excellent box kicker but it's not like he's a, he's a big man i personally i i would go with casey i think he, there is the ireland strength is in is in is when they play a tempo and especially against a big heavy opponent um again going back to what we said about about out half this is the time you learn about these players it might be harsh Connor murray's due to win his 100 cap in this window he's likely to be on the bench for the um for the South Africa game, either way, um, and win this hundred cap off the bench again, you know, probably replacing Gibson Park because it does sound like he's going to be fit. But this is a chance to get Casey big time minutes in a big time game behind the first choice pack if Gibson Park doesn't make it, and also play to your strengths because I think Casey can do that. So I think I actually think Casey's the bigger doubt at the moment than Gibson Park. I think he's him and and Van der Fleer are the two players who are not likely to train this week. So that's probably going to mitigate against him playing. I think we are looking at Gibson Park and um, and Murray. So Gibson Park starting Murray on the bench. But I would like to see Casey start a game for Ireland of consequence uh, to find out more about him. He's got, I think they like his leadership as well. I think he's got a lot of the, like, you know, it's Johnny Sexton compared him to Johnny Wilkinson a couple of years ago in terms of his mindset. I don't think Johnny Sexton throws that out lightly. I think that's something that he's picked up, that he likes, that he's impressed by. Um, 
there's something to Craig Casey. I'd like to see more of him before the World Cup because, again, we know an awful lot about, uh, similar to Johnny Sexton, we know an awful lot about Conor Murray and we know that he can do a job for Ireland. And I'm not writing Conor Murray off by any any, uh, stretch of the imagination. I think we know what we can get from him. I'd like to know more about what we can get from Craig Casey and this is the window where you find that out. Do you think Casey's been as good? Like, does Casey... How good do you think Casey's been the last year for Munster? I I think Casey suffers from that role that he plays with Ireland as the third choice. So he misses loads of Munster games because he's off at Ireland, but he's not playing a minute for Ireland. Then he goes back to Munster and Murray's kind of first choice for the big game. So he comes off the bench. He's been asked to play. Like I think like he comes on under Johan van Graan and he's kicking box kicks when there's like when there's a chance to inject tempo into the game. I'd like to see him play more with this coaching ticket when the team are clicking a bit more and I thought he was very good against the Bulls but yeah I don't think he's been exceptional by any means there have been games where he's been brilliant there's been games where he has been poor I think in that Ireland team with behind the pack that's going well with Sexton outside him and the back line that he's got going there with the game plan that suits his style of play I think he could thrive but like Murray if it was a World Cup quarterfinal I'd go Murray but again the stakes are lower at the moment and I would like to see Casey play in this this, this environment to, to learn more about him yeah like, like if I was Luke McGrath I'd be gutted watching him get in there like I'd be absolutely gutted I mean I'm particularly off the form of the last year or so you know so it's a tricky one like I think our like we, we're in this situation where I think like you know I, I think Murray has to go in I think it might be too late in the in the in the, in the day to maybe have a look at uh, at, at Casey and I'm, I just haven't seen enough of him in, in Munster to really, I suppose, back up that. Because I would have probably, I would have been listening to the same thing as you about in terms of Johnny Sexton's description of his of his mentality. And I suppose I just haven't seen that. In look, maybe he's struggling. Munster struggling. It might be. It's very difficult for for you know for a halfback. But I probably just haven't seen enough. He, I'm unconvinced, even though you know I like some parts of what I've seen. A case I just haven't seen enough of it as well uh, in a Munster jersey. Like to to be saying. I'd like to see more of an Irish jersey. If you get me, I always feel like this, that's the domino, isn't it? It's like you know, you you know what he can bring in Munster. So you say, well, I have to see him in Ireland. I, I have to get a glimpse of this guy uh, starting a match for Ireland. Whereas I just haven't seen enough in the Munster jersey. Whereas I know what McGrath. Like I've seen McGrath be brilliant for 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 Leinster for for a concerted period of time. Whereas I haven't seen that with Casey. So that's an interesting one. I've seen sorry, and I've also seen that with Cooney. I've seen that with Marmion for for their respective provinces. So they must be looking on thinking. Well, how does that work if they're watching any monster games? You know, and like we, you know, Nathan Doak is Doak, of course. Like, Jeez, a year Nathan. younger is he a year younger than Casey? Sorry, he's years younger than Casey, and he he, he brings the goal kicking element. I, mm. I I I love Nathan Doak. I think he's he's got a Very lot good. of what mm. makes a, a really good international uh, scrum half. I do think he probably fits more the Conor Murray mold and style of play. I think he's modelled his game a lot on Ruan Pinar, and what Ireland are trying to do is more that tempo tempo player and I think that's where Gibson Park and Casey get the nod but I think like I was surprised Doak wasn't in that A squad for, for this window because Blade hmm. got the, the nod and Blade I suppose is that kind of tempo player yeah Rod just to ask you something a bit off topic but you know I mentioned earlier about you know Munster you know getting zero points against Leinster and that battle for the Champions Cup places is already you know quite intense and we got a question in from Kev O'Hanlon asking you know from a Munster perspective missing out on the Champions Cup you know, it's a lot thrown about the financial aspect of that. Like, how catastrophic would that be for Munster if it came to pass? It's obviously Tom and Park filling those games is, is very vital for them. Would it be as bad as people are making it out to be? Well, it's prize money plus there's gates. I, I don't, don't have figures in front of me. But, it, you know, Munster's main sellout games are their Heineken Cup home games and that Leinster game at Christmas. You know, they they, they don't send, tend to sell out Tom and Park for a myriad of reasons across the season. Um. 
but they do for those European Cup games. And they don't have as many of them as they used to. It's just two two home pool games these days. You know, they used to be three. You know, you don't you're not guaranteed a quarterfinal. They they've kind of vowed never to make the mistake they made last year by having, you know, the Ed Sheeran concert that, that meant they ended up in the Aviva for that home or for that Toulouse game. Um so yeah, there is that like and we have seen clubs go to the wall in the last couple of weeks but look we i think we know even though philip brown the previous rfu ceo did say that we can, the rfu cannot become the lender of last resort for the provinces i think we noticed a safety net there for the for the provinces in particular munster and and they have had financial support from the rfu before they have they are on track according to their cfo philip quinn to be um break even by next year um i would say that that being on track is the is is you know they they probably hadn't considered the idea that they weren't and wouldn't be in the Champions Cup next year. That might knock them off that tra- that track, and it would impact budgets. It would impact their ability to go out and recruit, and they're they're already struggling because you know there wasn't a huge amount of room in the budget. They have managed to recruit Ollie Morris uh, till the end of the season, the Worcester centre, and John Ryan is, is back from Wasps on a three month deal. But as far as I'm aware, there's not a lot of wiggle room in their budget. Um. We had heard that they would be looking for a world-class uh, number two or three. They can't get a three because partly because of budget, but also because Leinster and Ulster have overseas um, tight heads. But I, I, I'm not aware of that there's loads of budget there either to go and get a, you know, a Malcolm Marks after the World Cup, unless that mysterious uh, group of financiers come in with a bit of, bit of money for them as well. So it would be impactful. It would knock them back. But... You look at what Harlequins did after they were relegated after Bloodgate. You look at what Northampton did. Um, you see it in other sports. Teams have gone down and you know in soccer for a year, regrouped and come back. Being out of the Champions Cup might just be for a year, I think, from a team point of view, just purely from the team, might give those young players space to come together in, in the URC and the Challenge Cup. Maybe win the Challenge Cup because it's more winnable than the Champions Cup right now. And just allow Munster to reset away from that high-pressure, have-to-win across two competitions environment because it's not serving them particularly well at the moment they're able to get to a certain level with it but not beyond that but i think for, yeah that's easy for me to say sitting here i'm not looking at the figures and and i think it would have a big impact in that regard yeah look from a rugby perspective is there a merit to what rud is saying there about kind of regrouping away from the pressure cooker of, of the top tier in europe I don't think so. I think you got to. They need the cash. I think you know. I think they need to be in the big competition. I think um, you know it's very hard to climb your way back in. If you and, and I think sorry, a big reason why I'm saying that is I think recruitment is seriously important and it's very hard to attract people. Um, you know, if you don't have the same amount of cash because you're not playing the, on the competition, but more importantly that you're not playing in the big competition. Like people, if you were a Southern Hemisphere player, you'd want to be playing in that. Um, like the only reason you'd you'd come to Ireland, I think, is. Is, is because that Heineken Cup and, and the, the importance of that, that that has taken on. Like, I think you can get paid more in France, um, you know, and I think as well the schedule over here probably is a bit more appealing that it's not as, you're not playing as many games. But, um, no, I think they need to be playing in it. I, I get Rudd's argument and, I, and I, there's, there's certainly some merit in that. But I just feel like it can be, it's a, it can be a... Be a long road back to to the big table in, in the competition, and I think you just need to be there, even if you're not winning it and you're not getting to the the latter stages of it. I just feel it's really important to be playing against the best teams, just to see, just to, to give yourself a a barometer of where you are. Like I don't think, um, you know, I think they've got enough tradition and there's enough of, a, of kind of, of kind of a brand there that like the expectation to perform is going to be there but i just feel like they, they you need to be playing those competitions just to see where you need to get to. it'll it'll reveal problems that they have uh, or really expose them even further and i think that's how you get to plug the gaps and 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 
you know get the team performing and back to where it should be which is i think at the top of the of the table and in, in european competitions it's a, it's a serious club monster but they've they've got some challenges um and i don't i think going backwards a step is in, in terms of who they're playing against is not not the right way of of getting them back to the top personally yeah because even under van Graan when they were criticized a lot for how they were playing they still produced a some huge European scabs, you know, beating Exeter, beating Toulon, you know, winning other big games. Like even when they weren't at their very, very best, you know, they still were coming up short in terms of winning the tournament. Did that not mask a lot of the issues that were there across the the course of a season and give their fans that kind of bit of hope and kind of something to cling to that when the ORC ultimately ended in defeat against Leinster or last year up in Ulster, like the, the Toulouse performance was brilliant, but when they got to the actual competition, they could probably more realistically win they didn't show up in the quarterfinal up in, up in Ravenhill. So one, they've always been capable of winning those once-off games. And look, they're playing to lose in Coleman Park in about five or six weeks' time. Like, if they've ever won fit, they could they could beat to lose in that game. There's nothing to say that they couldn't. And everyone would be happy with them. And suddenly, people would be saying Munster is back. But at the end of the year, you know, have they done enough across the, the URC season to get back in Europe? We'll see. Like, I'm looking at the, the winners of the Challenge Cup for the last couple of years. Leon won it last year. They're the coming team in France. Montpellier won it the year before. They won the French top 14 the year after that. Bristol beat Toulon in the final in 2019-20. Bristol have gone off the boil since, but they're still a, a fairly strong team. And Claremont beat La Rochelle in the Challenge Cup final in 2018-19. And La Rochelle, that was a step along the way to becoming one of the best teams in Europe a couple of years later. So, like, the Challenge Cup the group stages you're going to come up against some crap teams and, and some mismatches and stuff but if you get into the knockouts and you you keep going through it there's this piece of silverware there that's more realistic for Munster to win than the Champions Cup because the Champions Cup you got to win like round of 16 last eight semi-final final and the South African teams are in it this year as well and the URC is much harder to win now because the South Africans are really good and they're adding an awful lot to it so you know it's been 11 years since they've won anything I don't think they should be I think if this year I'm. I'm not saying they should spend like a, a decade down there. I'm saying that if they miss out on Europe this year, but they find a load of players who who get the really good experience this season, and then those players form a team that's capable of competing in the URC and also getting to a Challenge Cup final potentially, and they qualify for Europe the following year through the URC with that team, and they have really good European experience playing against decent teams in the sharp end of that tournament, and they go into 2023, 24, I think maybe 24, 25 with a team of young players who have two years of really good experience and have started going on an upward trajectory and they're back in the Champions Cup, then that year in the in the doldrums was worth it. But, you know, it can go both ways. You have to bounce back. And there are structural issues away from the whole thing and budgetary issues that would come about with that, that, that could be problematic. But I'm not saying you drop down there and stay down there. Like, sometimes you have to take a step backwards to go forwards. And this season looks like it's going to have a lot of pain for this Munster squad. And it's going to result in this, and they're going. To, it's going to be about how they how they bounce back from it. So, best case scenario for Munster, they get the Champions Cup pool money this year. They drop down into the Challenge Cup for this season after coming in that you know that sweet spot where you drop into the second tier. The finals in Dublin in May. They win that. They're back in the Champions Cup next year, having achieved both of your objectives. Well, that, I mean, that would be if they got a bit of silverware, they'd have something to take <laughs> the from their career. They're there, we're going to retire and never won nothing for Munster. And then if they want to challenge cup final and like you know like Leinster seller I know it wasn't the same as the Champions Cup but they went did you know take advantage of the fact that they got into the challenge cup what was it 2013 and you know that was they you won the double that year it was uh like you know that's not the, the double race. that's not the it double. wasn't the double it wasn't the real double but it was still a way it was still a final it was still a, it was a full Coca-Cola house Coca-Cola cup. 
Yeah, no, I get the point. Actually, look, I, I could see why you're where you're coming from with it, Rose. I suppose I'd just be concerned that it's become such a step up for you to get back up competing with in, in in the Champions Cup. Like, yeah, you might get a bit of confidence. You might be able to blow a few youngsters away in a less, you know, in a, in a in an environment where there's less expectation and pressure. But um, I probably have the opinion that the pressure is good and maybe you, you learn a bit more about yourself. But yeah, look, that that's a really difficult one to say whether you're right or wrong on that one. To be honest, I could see why. You'd, you'd feel that way about it and that it might be something beneficial for for the squad at this juncture which is certainly in a, in a challenging position like I, I i i what i'd be very concerned about is that you they get in a, in a situation where the expectation levels are just lowered like that's my big concern about the match on the weekend like they, they it was a bonus point loss against Len, leinster who could, like basically didn't finish like there was about four or five really cutting edge opportunities that leinster threw away and Munster had very few visits to 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 the Leinster twenty two throughout the game, just in terms of pressure. Or they weren't in there for long periods anyway. If they were, um, and to hear kind of people talking positively after the game about it, I, I would that that just concerns me for Munster. If I'm being honest, um, so that's probably where I'm coming from. I'm not sure that it's good to be dropping down and actually winning something. I think that could maybe mask over uh, the real issues for a team that should be a Heineken Cup competing team. You know. Well, the next step for them will be that Ulster game in Town Park this weekend, which could have huge ramifications come the end of the season for those Champions Cup qualification spots we've referred to. But that's all we have time for tonight on the Left Wing Podcast. Delighted to be joined by Luke and Rudd. We'll be back next week with another show. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify, and please rate and review us as well. So until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.